Welcome back to the Movie Bible Podcast. This week, you have myself, Colin, and I'm joined by Nick as we break down the opening weekend for Birds of Prey. Remember, as always, you can check us out online at moviebiblereviews.com. All right. So breaking down this weekend's top five at the box office, you have Birds of Prey, and I'm not going to say the full title because it's really long, at 33 and some change million dollars domestically, followed by Bad Boys for Life at $12 million domestically, 1917 in the number three spot with $9 million, followed by Doolittle in the number four spot with $6.66 million, and Jumanji The Next Level rounds out the top five with $5.53 million. So it was a pretty quiet weekend at the box office overall. Uh, it's not going to be the case next week, so I think we're just kind of in a little bit of a roll, a little bit of a lull. And I think Birds of Prey, well, I don't think I know that there were much higher expectations for it. And it's not just sinking to the bottom, but it's not really doing that well either. So again, it's at $33.25 million domestically, sitting at about $81 million worldwide, but its production budget is estimated at about 85. So when you factor in marketing, it's probably sitting at around $160, $170 million worldwide uh, for the overall cost of it. So it, it definitely has a lot of work to do. This movie is really going to come down to what the legs on it look like. Yeah, no question. Uh, that... That begin that the opening gross isn't terrible. I, there's I feel like there's some kind of industry standard out there where if you get a, right around what your production budget was in your first weekend, then it's it's really not that bad. I mean, yet there were higher expectations for this one. I know Warner Brothers was kind of looking at above forty five million, something like that. Um, so yeah, thirty three is actually really below expectations. So it's not good from that perspective. But all things considered, it's not the worst you could ever see but it is interesting because you see like suicide squad was like weirdly really successful back in 2016 i can't remember exactly what it made maybe like 130 million something like that and it's opening weekend uh so you would have thought maybe there was some carry over there i know we all know that suicide squad is a pretty awful movie but we all like margot robbie we like harley quinn very popular there's ties to joker a joker movie just came out and if you know it doesn't really connect at all we're talking about jared leto's joking here um it's very strange you would have thought maybe a little bit of a bigger bump here um it seems like audiences liked it at the very least they got you can see b plus a minus cinema score everything like that it's it's a little bit of a curious one i'm not quite sure i think a lot of it i think is oscars weekend it's kind of a weird weekend for the movies where there's just a lot playing still because all the movies coming out for Best Picture and other awards are are still out in theaters and there's probably less show times available, available for Birds of Prey because like Pain and Glory is taking one spot or something like that, you know? Um, so yeah, like the weekend of the Super Bowl and the weekend after that is, it's always kind of a weird time for movies. Yeah, and it's even opening lower than Shazam did last year which Shazam opened to about $53 million domestically, and that was com- considered pretty soft uh, for the time. I mean, Shazam only grossed about $365 million worldwide, uh, which is pretty low. So I think DC is kind of finding out that if you're not Batman or Superman or a character that's on that level, um, like Wonder Woman even, um, that 
it's not as easy to launch into a franchise. Yeah, and it's it is strange because I think this this was a calculated risk in some sense. It's R-rated movie, get a little get a little crazy with it. The budget's down, but it's weird because that that budget is it does seem a little high for what the like what the movie ends up being. Um, it's eighty five million, like you said earlier. There's, there's not really any big set pieces in anything in this. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of talk about the movie itself, but it is a lot like Deadpool. Uh, just down to like the jokes and there's a little bit of fourth wall breaking and even just the structure of the movie itself with flashbacks and kind of just the irreverent kind of just bloody uh, violence and everything going on. Um, and Deadpool was like historically pretty cheap of a movie. I think it cost like 42, 43 million at Tim Miller's um, effects studio. We did a lot of nice work on that uh, on the cheap, but still, so that's half of this movie's cost. Uh, it's, there's some fun like costume design and crazy things like that in this movie, but it's kind of hard to tell where all the dollars were spent. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it went to all the the bad covers of rock music um, that are in this soundtrack. I don't really know. It's really weird. Yeah. I'm still just kind of scratching my head over this movie. Um, like I feel like even just from a marketing standpoint, um, or just like a production standpoint, this movie felt like it came out of nowhere. Like they just kind of, dropped it <laughs> dropped the announcement last year and i was like oh that's that's kind of an interesting choice um to go with birds of prey and with primarily characters that haven't had a big screen debut until this point um but you know that's what they did and yeah kind of like you said i think this movie is definitely warner brothers response to deadpool so in uh, february of 2016 because deadpool actually opened up on this weekend um man four years ago and I guarantee you some Warner brother was just sitting in his office smoking a cigar and was like, ah, oh, we gotta, we gotta get in on that. And, uh, they slowly put, uh, birds of prey together, which, I mean, even you look at suicide squad was really DC's answer to guardians of the galaxy. And they really try to replicate that. And I think they do a better job of replicating things here, but it's, it's was really hard for me at least to ignore just like how much of this was ripped from Deadpool, like there's a lot of the same jokes, even um, like the whole getting that second wind of cocaine to fight the bad guys uh, was some I think they've used in both Deadpool movies that was in this movie. Um, and even like you said, like the structure, like it, it very much follows uh, that linear story that's interrupted by flashbacks for about the first two thirds of the movie. And then in the third act, it just moves on straight forward into a big CGI fight. And that yeah this is just kind of dc's deadpool yeah and it's when you really look at the plot itself like there's a lot of fun things going on and, and margot robbie is just so tremendous as uh harley quinn like they if well, all the problems this movie has and ultimately i i like this movie qu uh, uh, quite a bit it's and there's definitely a lot of issues with it but her like in the lead performance is just incredible uh like it's just watching like one of our best actresses working today basically act as a cartoon character for two hours is just pure cinema to me. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> wonderful just to see how absurd she is. And it's, it is really like just, she is so arch. It is pure slapstick for a lot of this time where she's, she's drunk out of her mind, slurring her words, talking to people. She's jumping around and she's, also just really good in the fight scenes as well. Like you can, t they didn't have to cut around her or use a lot of stun people. Like I, she did a really good job there too. It's, it's, she's just really great. And I think the reason this movie ma was made was in large part to 
how people felt about her in Suicide Squad because DC was like, well, uh, we don't know quite what to do after this because we had Batman v Superman kind of go uh, just downwards. And then we had Suicide Squad right after that, like I think within a few months of each other back in 2016. So it was like, hey, what do we do here? And like Margot Robbie had just started, was putting together her uh, her production studio, uh, which is uh, I think it's Lucky Chap Entertainment productions something like that it's lucky chap something something aussie um but she was putting that together at the time and um i think everyone loved was in love with margot robbie as harley quinn in, her, in suicide squad so i guess there was some type of seizing the opportunity there because this this movie has been in the works for quite some time and for quite some time because david Ayer was one of the big creative forces at the beginning and then i think he ended up with a story by credit in the end or something like that but so it seems like there was definitely like different iterations of this script and this and how like they wanted to present this and uh, the movie itself definitely feels like that because it's pretty sloppy and there it feels like there's certain characters that were kind of left over from other drafts of that script where you have rosie perez's character who's just kind of there as the cop <laughs> it's kind of funny because the movie itself does like talk about oh, like oh she just talks in um 80s cop cliches which i thought was a nice little bit but like yeah she also just talks in <laughs> 80s cops cliches so it's kind of like that have, uh, having your cake and eating it too type of thing where she's there for maybe just because they felt like they had to have a cop presence in like this underground story with a bunch of just grizzly like assassin types so um yeah it's it's just very very bizarre but it just margot robbie is just so tremendous and i just love watching every second of her which is why i think this movie is ultimately i think worth seeing yeah she's definitely the highlight of this movie um like i think her character works really well and she has a, a pretty solid arc just about leaving the toxic relationship with a probably the most toxic person uh, figuratively and literally there is out there um, and just kind of coming into her own and, and maturing in that sense. But I think she's really the only one that, that works really well. And you have black Canary who kind of has a, a similar arc and kind of mirrors Harley as she's kind of going into independence of her own and, and be becoming uh, self-sufficient and kind of separate from crime but I think most of the characters are just kind of there. Um, like, kind of like you said, like Rosie Perez's character, um, Renee Montoya is just there to be a cop. And like about every 40 minutes, they'll be like, ah, do you always talk like an 80s cop show? And then everyone laughs and you're like, that doesn't excuse always talking like an 80s <laughs> cop show. Um, and then I think Huntress who is kind of one of the more recognizable characters in this movie is really only in this movie to be recognizable. And she's like the source of the plot. Uh, Cause they're looking for a diamond that has a bank code or something like that on it. But she just kind of drifts in and out and just like, we'll show up and shout her name. And then that's pretty much it. Kill somebody with a crossbow and then leave. And you'll see her about 30 minutes later. Yeah. It's, I, I do really appreciate because this movie is directed by Kathy Yan, and you really you do feel that female perspective on this movie. Because even though we all really liked Har Harley Quinn in uh, Suicide Squad, there was such a clear like this was like from a, ma a male director's perspective, where she's just in really skimpy clothing the entire time. There's that one like pretty famous or infamous shot, depending on how you look at it, where they all get like their stuff back after they get the mission from. Uh, 
whatever um, from Joel Kinnaman and like she's putting her shirt on. Everyone's like stopping to stare at her. And it's, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing like that. I think they, they kept a lot of the, like the hot topic E kind of sentimentalities or style or whatever of suicide squad in here, but it's definitely, it's used just to kind of accent the zaniness this time around where there's like one scene where Harley Quinn has like a bunch of like, I don't know if they're diamond studs or there's like sparkles like in her eyebrow and stuff like that. Like it's just, it's there to, for just to, to compliment the zany aesthetic, which I really appreciate. And just kind of to go on like another layer of kookiness to, for these kooky characters. So I, I really appreciated that change as well. Yeah. And I think I, I agree with that for the most part. Um, I think like moving into the hands of a female creative team was definitely the right choice and i like again I, I really like everything they did with harley i think it fit the character i think it fit the story they wanted to tell but i think there are just a lot of these pretty loose ends that don't really connect all the way into anything else or connect all the way into the story and i i think the side characters could have used a little bit more work but i think i think everything they did with harley was just really well polished really well done and had a lot of style um, it was just really interesting. Yeah, and even, yeah, back to that script, and I think we're in total agreement there, where it's just, like, this movie is just very, very messy, but there's just generally, like, a, some, a lot of fun stuff going on, just mostly from Harley, that you're kind of willing to look past it, or maybe just enjoy everything else and kind of avoid everything, all the other bad parts of it. Um, but I, I really... For it's frustrating because I really like Ewan McGregor as the villain here. He's wearing his guy liner in certain scenes, and he's just he's really fussy about things. Like he he's like cutting people's faces off, but then he's like repulsed by like like a like a snot booger or like a bo booger bubble or whatever. And it's he's he's really particular. But I do feel like there was like this movie was definitely found a little bit in editing, where there feels like there was one scene where he was like probably it was going to be like his big scene to like explode and really play it up to even like 12 or 13, like past 11 on the dial. Um, and we don't quite get that, which was a little frustrating because I felt like it, he was really, he was really given it. He was just insane. He felt like he was just on one the entire time and he was really giving himself to just what, how crazy this movie was. And um, especially Christmas scene, his character as well, where they're kind of the duo here. And it feels like, they were totally into this, but th there was just something where it doesn't quite come across as stupendous or just like incredibly memorable because they're missing that one like really fantastic scene as like a calling card. And I kind of feel like that for a lot of these characters, like strangely, like Ali Wong is in this movie for like two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and like you're like, oh, like she's going to be a big important. She's going to be a big deal. Maybe she'll help Rosie Perez's character. And it's like, no, she has like one exposition scene in the beginning and then she comes back later and that's it. Uh, and I think that's like a, that's like the perfect example of like this script definitely went through different inter, uh, iterations and whatnot. Um, and it's interesting because Christina Hodson's the only person with a written by credit on this movie. So um, it's very strange in that sense, but um, it, it does feel like a little bit of a missed opportunity in a lot of ways. Um, but I don't know, like, there's a hyena taking a bath. Like I'm all I'm like, sure. Like <laughs> I'm here for that. Like that stuff is really funny. And um, just, there's a lot of kookiness here that we don't get from a lot of superhero movies, which I really appreciate. in a lot of sense, it's, it's still, even though like 
for as much as we talk about how bad some like superhero scripts are, like this one is definitely on the, on the lower end of that, but it's just colored with all this like, like weird stuff where it still feels like a breath of fresh air, even though it's like, Oh, like this is our overly convoluted MacGuffin. And here's, um, the crazy bad guys over here. Like there's all that stuff in there, but it's dressed up in a way where it's like, Oh, like this is fun enough. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think Ewan McGregor is just having the time of his life, just hemming it up. Um, like he's just having a blast. In <laughs> it's, it's, it's so good. It's so, so, so good. And it really works. Cause it, it really makes him feel unique and you know, he's, he's got a pretty stereotypical plan. Um, he, he's not too different from basically any other villain you would plug into a movie, but Ewan McGregor is just really just killing it. <laughs> just having fun on screen and shouting and uh, just like doing this little half dance in his step every time he walks and is just so much fun. <laughs> but I, yeah, again, I'm going to come back to some of the side characters. We have like Ali Wong, who's just kind of there. And there's a, uh, like a, a restaurant owner who is like supposedly important in Harley's life. And is just like also kind of there in two scenes and has this big quote unquote emotional moment that has zero impact on what's going on. Um, and then they have like Victor Zaz is Christmas Cena's character. Um, and he's really the only character change i didn't like because you know like in the the traditional kind of batman source material he's basically anton sugar but he just likes killing people and that's what he does and i think he wasn't really menacing and he was kind of the butt of all the jokes in this movie which i, I don't think really worked uh because you do have a lot of jokes flying around kind of the same as that deadpool style of, of movie they're going for yeah no doubt it's 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 like I said, it's just a frustrating thing, even though I do enjoy it. You can you can see the seams in it and it's undeniably messy. But um, as long as Margot Robbie kind of wants to return this character, I'm fine with that, you know, because she's just she's just tremendous. And I like I feel like for all the issues that we talk about in a lot of MCU movies, um, we can always turn back onto we really like the main character. And that's kind of how I feel like Birds of Prey, like if this was in some like weirdly this was a marvel movie like it would probably be somewhere in the middle to like the lower like bound of middle in all the mcu films where it's just like yeah this movie doesn't really work but it's zippy enough and it doesn't overstay its welcome where it's just kind of fun and you like the main character and you're willing to go on another adventure with them at some point and ultimately that's kind of how i feel about this i just really i love margot robbie and the fact that she's just <laughs> just hamming it up and she's one of the best actresses we have she's going nuts in this kind of movie it's just hilarious and it's just really cool because she's the re she's the reason this movie got made in the first place like i mentioned so i'm really interested to kind of see what kind of career she has on the producer side if she wants to continue to go down this route or she wants to work on getting other projects made maybe she goes the way of what uh, Brad Pitt's doing with Plan B and getting all these really interesting indie projects made um, on like a yearly basis. I don't know. I'm, but it does seem kind of cool that like this doesn't seem like a movie that would get made a few years ago. So good for her and getting it made and all that. Um, I I hope this leads to more stuff for her. Yeah, and I think they're really using this to open a lot of doors for future DC projects. So that we've obviously this sets up the team birds of prey and they make a pretty big step towards that um kind of towards the end of the movie where they're like hey this is an official thing now um and you know there's been talk of 
Harley Quinn just moving on to the Gotham City Sirens movie next, uh, which would be her and Catwoman and Poison Ivy. And so they're, they're definitely like trying to branch out and explore as much of Batman's world as they can since they don't actively have a DCEU Batman right now since Pattinson is like his own little Batman. So I'm interested to see what they do with the world they've built next. Yeah, and it's very true because they've had and they've had success with um, like Joker, which is this just really it's just just this crime drama and it costs like around like fifty million dollars and all these movies you can take little risks with them you can make the Mar you can have a hyena laugh in a hot in a bathtub <laughs> you can do all this weird stuff and kind of keep the budget down. Um, and then you're good to go. So yeah, you can really you can basically just morph it into like, for people who aren't very familiar with the comic book like lore, you can just make it into like these really just weird and out there crime stories, which could work for a lot of these. I think there's a lot of potential there for uh, Warner Brothers, and it seems like even just on the heels of Joker's success, that they might want to keep going this route because this seems like this was kind of part of their initiative post whatever justice league and all this junk when they were like hey we're just gonna go back to just doing these interesting stories and this is definitely one of those so um on the success of joker and maybe this does well maybe we kind of see more with it and i'd be okay with that because it's you know what it's different and um i i just kind of appreciate that we're in that we're in this we're in the point with the superior genre where you kind of have to reinvent the wheel and then reinvent that reinvented wheel and do all the like these real kind of weird stuff so um yeah, I just I would love for them to keep trying in this direction. It would be it'd be cool to see. Yeah, and I'm kind of in the same boat, even though I'm not a not a big Joker fan. And, you know, I like this movie, but I, I don't really see myself coming back to it very much. Um, I'm glad that they are taking strides and getting kind of weird and experimental and, and doing new stuff with it. Yeah. And I mean, look, it's I'm a little nervous, though, because you look to next weekend and we it's valentine's day weekend and there's a lot of stuff coming out which i'm sure we'll talk about late, uh later on but uh, i'd be interested to see what the legs are on this because it's all we always talk about it. it's about the legs and how it stays in theaters for how many ever weeks and whatnot and keeps breaking in decent change and i don't know i'm a little nervous for this one we'll see uh i think this movie weirdly does play well for valentine's day just because it's based off of a bad relationship with the joker um and kind of stuff about coming into your own as a as an individual. So I think there is stuff that'll play there with kind of crowd, but um, I don't know. It's definitely a wait and see for me on how we, on how this movie, if this is a, a, a success or not. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And so with that, we'll move on to bad boys for life, which is in its fourth weekend at the box office and still doing really solid. Only had a 32% drop this weekend pulled in another 12 million sitting at about 336 million dollars worldwide on a 90 dollar budget this movie has just been kind of a sleeper hit almost um like it's just made more money than anybody thought it would yeah and it kind of feels like maybe this movie was a little bit on birds of prey uh corner there a little bit because i mean they have basically have identical budgets bad boys for life is 90 royal birds of prey as we said is 85 r-rated crime movies based on uh, properties that we already know. So there's certainly a lot there. Um, whether or not that was actually the case, who knows. But it, I can kind of see the threads um, kind of going through both of these. So uh, I don't know. But yeah, the fact remains, Bad, Bad Boys for Life is just a really solid hit. And it's just doing really well. Um, it's definitely the biggest hit of 
the new year so far. So just really good job for everyone involved. And uh, once again, I'm just happy that Will Smith has a good movie <laughs> again. It's really cool to see. Yeah, it's nice to see him back on top. <laughs> yeah, he really he really needed our help. <laughs> well, you're welcome, Will. <laughs> um, and so, uh, 1917 was in the number three spot, pulled in nine million, uh, but only had a 5.2 percent drop from last week, and that's probably going to be due mostly to the fact that it is up for quite the slate of awards tonight for the Academy Awards, or yesterday, or some time ago, whenever you're listening to this. Um, but it does get a lot of extra attention from this past weekend and that's why we're seeing somewhat of a bump in its box office performance yeah and we're gonna just we're gonna see this for the next few weeks as well where it's just it's gonna have these little tiny drops and stay in theaters for a little bit um regardless if it wins or not i mean we'll we'll see and people who are listening to this will know but yeah it's just it's chugging along once again 1917 can't complain there and then Doolittle is somehow still in the top five, uh, pulled in $6.6 million and some change uh, and only had a 12.3% drop. So this is not up for any awards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> still had a, a <laughs> I don't like, I don't know how to explain this movie, um, but it didn't sink as much as we thought it would. It's getting closer to that. Uh, production budget that got a 175 million dollar production budget so it's sitting at 159 a little less than that worldwide um so who knows maybe we're seeing Doolittle, one of the nine best picture nominees for 2021 you never know i'm seeing i see 15 awards maybe give it best original song i don't know who knows yeah um i, I don't know how to explain that one <laughs> <laughs> just move on but and then the, the top five is rounded out by Jumanji, the next level, which had 5.5 million and some change, only had a 7.8% drop. And Jumanji has just continued to have these really smaller drops and just continue to bring in money, sending about $768 million worldwide, which is, I mean, just a solid hit. I mean, that's Marvel money at that point. Yeah, it's closing in on 300 million at the US box office. It's, yeah, it's, Jumanji is doing well. It's just Sony, it's just they're doing okay, and which is kind of strange coming out of, out of my mouth after all the shitty movies we've <laughs> seen them release. So good for them, I guess. Yeah, so that is the top five for this weekend's box office, uh, but there were some streaming releases. So Horse Girl, uh, which is a Netflix film, uh, released as well as Timmy Failure Mistakes Were Made, which is a Disney Plus film. Um, and these were actually both at Sundance. Uh, I think we talked about it in the Sundance recap pod, but I went out of my way not to see Timmy Failure. And I think you did the same. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but I actually did get to attend the premiere of Horse Girl and really enjoyed that. Uh, it's, it's not a movie that I think is going to work for everybody. It's a really kind of trippy, wacky, uh, really just absurd black comedy. But it worked really well for me. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it made some pretty solid character arcs, and I just had a good time watching it. Yeah, I like I like a lot of the people that are in that movie. Yeah, Allison Brie, Molly Shannon, I believe, is in there. Uh, just a lot of a lot of good stuff. Uh, it's it feels like Netflix is starting to do this thing where they're using Sundance to just kind of 
release one of their movies that's coming on the platform soon. So last year it was Velvet Buzzsaw, which I think released, I think it was literally the same weekend or it was the weekend after Sundance last year. So uh, this seems like it's the, like a trend for them where they're just going to just use Sundance just to be like for, for free marketing. Um, you never know. I think it's kind of smart by them. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's the third collaboration between Alison Brie and Jeff Baina and this, they've basically kind of formed their own little troupe and are just making stuff together and Netflix seems to be buying into that, so. Yeah, smart for them. I mean, we've kind of known this for a while. Netflix is just in that mode where they just want creators to work with them, so they're going to overpay it, allow you to get your projects made, you're going to... You've had a passion project that's been passed along from studio to studio in the many years, and it hasn't been able to get made. Like they're going to help you, so maybe this kind of seems like that was that for uh, Brie and Baina or and all the other people involved. So um, yeah, just Netflix at it, doing their thing once again. Yeah, <laughs> and so that's pretty much it for this week. But next week will be pretty crowded, so it is Valentine's Day weekend. Uh, Valentine's Day is actually on Friday, and so we have The Photograph, which I'm weirdly excited for. We have Fantasy Island, which I don't understand. We have the highly anticipated redesigned Sonic the Hedgehog movie, which will just shatter all records. And then we have Downhill, <laughs> which is the Force Majeure remake that was actually at Sundance as well. Yeah, which one are you, out of the group are you looking forward to most here? It's definitely a weird, eclectic group. I think the photograph, just because it has Keith Stanfield in it, and that's really all I need to know. Yeah, it's a great trailer too, isn't it? Or it's just oh, like yeah. Yeah, you, you see all these really like Issa Rae as well as the as the female lead, and you have Ayan Noel. I think is Issa Rae's dad. I think I, he's in there somewhere, but he's just a really charismatic dude. Yeah, it's just a lot of little Ray Howery in there too. It's it just seems like very charming people doing really charming things. And it looks, the trailer just kind of feels like a warm blanket, you know, where it's just, it feels really loving. Um, it really worked on me. So I hope it does well. And it kind of, cause I don't know, like Sonic, like, I guess is like a thing. Well, that'll, that'll happen. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's more meme content out of it. It's kind of what I'm hoping for. Cause it's already just the, a meme sensation already. and hasn't come out. Um, I think fantasy Island is weirdly one that I'm really looking forward to because this movie's director is Jeff Wadlow, who did uh, Truth or Dare a few years. Uh, I think that was maybe last year, 2017, 2018. I don't know. Uh, but that movie is Dumpster Fire. And it's hilarious. And if you remember, it was the one where there was like a demon in the Truth or Dare game. And it made their faces turn into CGI Snapchat filters. And it was so funny. Uh, and it was PG-13 and just... Uh, just so terrible and I think it was written by like a 40 year old but it was that was trying to write 20 year old dialogue and it was just it was so hilarious uh, and I'm hoping the same for Fantasy Island <laughs> same same director Lucy Hale was the lead in both movies weirdly enough uh, but I think it's another it could be another um, just high concept just terrible movie and it's PG-13 as well so it might just be really bad I don't know uh, Michael Pena's in there um, I'm hoping um, I have morbid curiosity for it. Yeah, Michael Pena's in there. Michael Rooker's in there. Like it's it's kind of weirdly interesting cast. And so I'm like I'm I'm here for pretty much everything coming out next weekend, um, regardless of how good or how bad it is. Yeah, and you saw downhill, so um, and yeah. you said it was 
not quite as good as Force Majeure, but there's definitely some stuff in it that is, I think you said will track with a lot of people. Yeah, it definitely doesn't come together as well as I think they wanted it to, but I had a good time with it, and I thought it worked pretty well. Um, it's not going to be in my favorites of the year, but it was it was an enjoyable time, and that, yeah, that's kind of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it is it's by all accounts, it seems like it's not the best movie, like kind of what you said, but. I don't know, like the Will Ferrell and Julia Louis Dreyfus in the same movie is kind of cool. And I know, like, I'm not here to be like, oh, like, cinema is going away or things like that. But we don't get like a lot of these kind of movies where it's kind of too, not super old, but older stars kind of just in a in a drama of sorts. So that's I don't know. It's kind of cool to see. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic for it because I didn't get a chance to see it at Sundance. So we'll see there. Yeah, and we don't get to see Will Ferrell's dramatic chops, but about once every like ten years, and so I'm I'm here to see those on display. And I think he and Julia Louis Dreyfus are the clear uh, winner, winners, I guess you could call them, but the clear standouts from downhill. Yeah, absolutely. It's I don't know. I I, I don't really know what wins the weekend next week. Uh, maybe so, probably I guess Sonic is. Because it's just by it's going to be releasing in the most uh, theaters, and Downhill is probably a smaller release, and Fantasy Island and the Photograph are probably more strategically placed in what theaters they're in. Um, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's just so weird. I feel like there's a little bit for everybody. And I'm sure some, like some of these will release earlier in the week because typically that's what happens with Valentine's Day weekend, where it's like some stuff releases on Wednesday or something like that, or I don't know. It's very 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 strange. I don't really know what to make of it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that pretty much wraps up everything for this week, and then we'll be back next week talking about the opening for Sonic the Hedgehog, the photograph, Fantasy Island, and Downhill. And remember, as always, you can check us out online at moviebabblereviews.com.